Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers. I'm an author and a paranormal researcher who currently has got a bad case of World Cup fever. I have watched more soccer games in the past two weeks than I care to admit. And I've uh, just been binging them, you know, like Santa with a plate of Christmas cookies. You know, and I do. I love the pageantry, the culture, the drama of seeing so many countries compete for a shiny trophy. And, you know, I have to admit that, you know, soccer has been a lifelong passion of mine. And, and all the cultural diversity from the World Cup uh, recently got me thinking about different countries, different geographic locations around the world. So that kind of inspired me to round up an article titled 22 Creepy Cryptids from Around the World. That's right. Locate your passport, pack your bags, and bring an extra change of underwear in case this journey gets a little too spooky. So off we go on a trip around the world that's guaranteed to be so strange. Okay, first of all, let's provide a little context here. So what's a cryptid, you might ask? Well, a cryptid is an animal who's an animal or a creature whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated, such as the Yeti, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. And uh, therefore, cryptozoology is the science and the study behind unknown, unexplained, or unexpected animals. Uh, it could even be, you know, not necessarily monsters, but just animals that are out of place, you know, such as uh, panther sighting in an area that's not known to, you know, provide habitat for a panther. Or, you know, the rash of kangaroo sightings that took place in rural Nebraska back in the 1940s. Kangaroos just bouncing all over farmers' field like crickets. It was nuts. No explanation. There were no circuses in town. Uh, but back in uh, 1995... Uh, Bernard Huevelmans, uh, he was a Belgian-French scientist, explorer, and writer. Uh, he invented the term cryptozoology. And he, along with a Scottish-American biologist named Ivan T. Sanderson, are considered to be the founding figures in cryptozoology. So more recently, a guy by the name of Lauren Coleman uh, is widely regarded as the foremost authority on cryptid creatures nowadays. And uh, he actually runs a little cryptid museum out in Portland, Maine, which... I was so close to visiting uh, this past spring, but uh, unfortunately I didn't make that trip. But anyway, the, the creatures on today's list are a little more bizarre than panthers and kangaroos, so uh, let's dig right in, shall we? And by the way, you can find a link to this entire article in the show notes, as always. From Bigfoot and Yeti to the Loch Ness Monster and Mokele and Bembe, the world is full of cryptids. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines a cryptid as an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Uh, cryptozoologist George M. Eberhardt has broken the creatures down into ten categories, including seemingly paranormal or supernatural entities with some animal-like characteristics. And then you have survivals of species known only from the fossil record into modern times, which one example of that might be the, the thylacine or Tasmanian tiger. Um, and then the other category is animals not known from the fossil record, nor related to any known species. So the following are just a few of the many cryptids from around the world that you should know, uh, adapted from an episode of The List Show on YouTube. And coming in at number one, we have the Mongolian Death Worm. So hey, right out of the gate, I'm awarding bonus points to this cryptid for having the most badass name on today's list, the Death Worm. 
And just the fact that it's from Mongolian, get bonus points. You know, Mongolia way out in the middle of nowhere, uh, out there in the desert by China, Gobi Desert, scary and right to the point. So what is the Mongolian death worm? Well, it's also known as the, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher this, the Olgi Kohort Kohoi, which uh, I butchered it, but it translates uh, translates to something like large intestinal worm. And uh, this giant red poison-spitting creature lives in the sands of the Gobi Desert, according to legend. And based on a description taken down by Roy Chapman Andrews, the explorer who may have indirectly inspired Indiana Jones and who was skeptical of this creature's existence, uh, says that it lives up to its name. In his 1926 book on... uh, The book was titled On the Trail of Ancient Man. uh, Chapman wrote that the Mongolian prime minister had described the beast as, quote, shaped like a sausage about two feet long, has no head or legs, and is so poisonous that merely to touch it means instant death. So the Mongolian death worm is said to be active during the months of June and July, and reportedly you don't even need to touch it to be taken down by the death worm. It can kill you by spitting its toxin, uh, its toxic corrosive venom at you, or hitting you with a bolt of electricity. Uh, no one has ever photographed this creature, and most reports seem to be kind of along the lines of, I have a friend of a friend who saw it, yada yada. But many believe that it's real, and continue to search for it to this day. It can hit you, <laughs> let me back up, it can hit you with a bolt of electricity, or spit venom at you. Alright, so this thing has multiple functions, almost like a... Uh, the cryptid equivalent of a Swiss army knife. So the spitting part kind of reminds me of a grumpy camel or a llama or, you know, alpaca that, you know, get too close to those things and wham, you get a direct hit of saliva right in your eyeballs. So is this thing real? You know, not uh, not sure I have any plans to go to, to the Gobi Desert anytime soon, but if you happen to be out there and snap a photo of this thing, be sure to email it to So Strange Studios. Uh, that is, if you're not blinded, by all the toxic spit and whatnot. Number two on the list, Bigfoot. You know him, you love him. <laughs> He's probably the most famous one on the list here. Uh, it says North America's Bigfoot, aka Sasquatch, is a bipedal ape-like creature most closely associated with the Pacific Northwest. Uh, plenty of people claim to have seen Bigfoot or captured evidence of the creature, from video footage to cast of huge footprints. And Sasquatch is part of many of the traditions of the indigenous people. There's even one village in British Columbia where members of the First Nations uh, live alongside Sasquatch, and they call they call it Bagwis. Um, and they they refer to this creature as like it's just a part of the life. It's just another animal in the animal kingdom. Uh, Bigfoot deserves uh, plenty of of his own episodes, and we'll surely do entire shows on Bigfoot. Uh, but just just for uh, kicks, uh, I looked up what are the states that you can most easily find Bigfoot in. Well, Washington is home to a little more than 7 million people, and up there in Washington State, there have been 676 official sightings. Now, those are official sightings only. People who mustered up the gumption to, you know, reach out to the Bigfoot Field Research Organization after seeing said creature. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that for every one Sasquatch that was sighted, um, you got nine other people who saw it too and never bothered to call in and report it. California coming in number two at 445 uh, official reports. Florida has 328. And uh, the Buckeye State, Ohio, 
with a respectable 302 official Bigfoot sightings. Coming in number three on the list, we have the Yeti. So across from the Pacific is the Yeti, a creature native to Asia that first appeared in folk tales told by the Sherpa people. The Yeti and the Abominable Snowman are actually one and the same. The name Abominable Snowman came from a translation error that actually appeared in a newspaper in 1921. Uh, Some believe that the Yeti and Sasquatch are actually a species of animal that went extinct hundreds of thousands of years ago. Uh, The name of that creature is Gigantopithecus, which was a polar bear-sized ape native to southern Asia. But genetic analysis of the hair hasn't turned up evidence of either animal. So analysis of supposed yeti fur, for example, revealed that the sample wasn't from an ape, but rather from a Himalayan bear. You know, and yeti are said to be, I don't know what the plural of of a yeti is. Is it yeti or is it yetis? (laughs) I don't know. But, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the reports say that they're a little smaller than Bigfoot. You got Bigfoot reports. They're usually ringing in somewhere in the seven to nine foot tall uh, spectrum. Yetis, on con- by contrast, are more in like the six to seven foot range. A little smaller, a little different. Um, you know, lighter colored hair, obviously, to blend in with the snowy uh, terrain. And Yetis are said to be a little more aggressive than Sasquatch. Sasquatch is introverted. Yetis are extroverted, and they're a little bit temperamental. You know, a lot of sightings you'll have up in northern India, Nepal, Tibet, you know, colder climates. And hey, maybe it's the cold weather or the altitude that makes him so grumpy and uh, temperamental. You know, I've had altitude sickness before and it put me in a foul mood. So I can relate to the reports of Yeti who are said to be, uh, you know, less than polite. I mean, heck, maybe they get hangry like my sister Elizabeth does. Who knows? We're only speculating. Uh, But speaking of Yetis... And we might do a whole episode on this sometime in the future. But if you haven't caught wind of an incident that occurred, I think it was back in the 60s or 70s, but this place in Russia, right out in the tundra, known as the Dyatlov Pass incident. And the Dyatlov Pass uh, was a, a stretch of mountain range where these experienced hikers, these college kids, ventured out on, I don't know, it was a four or six day journey and just absolutely it developed into a crime scene because they they were all killed or murdered under mysterious uh, mysterious circumstances that still haven't been solved. Uh, their tent was ripped open. You had members of the team whose eyes were gouged out, other members whose tongues were missing. You had people uh, who were missing clothing, like they went running from their tent with no clothing on, you know, in, in subarctic conditions. Uh, you had people uh, turned up, uh, dead uh, blocks away or kilometers away, whatever. And it was never solved. You know, people don't know, were these kids, you know, uh, taking drugs? Did everyone have a bad trip and, and spaz out and murder each other? Or was it an, a Yeti attack? And as silly as it sounds, who knows? They were in such a remote area. I mean, we can only speculate, but there's been countless books and documentaries and, and shows that, you know, that, that talk about what could have gone wrong. And, you know, and, and again, I think that that took place in place in, in Russia, uh, which was not in Nepal or Tibet or northern India. But still, you got this expanse of space, you know, in the, in the northern uh, countries and you got Yeti running around causing trouble. He needs to be more like his uh, cousin Bigfoot and just kind of just mellow out. You know, Bigfoot doesn't cause trouble generally unless you go looking for trouble. He may, you know, do some wood knocks, throw a couple, you know, pebbles at your tent. 
tell you to get away, but he's not going to, it's not going to cause physical harm typically. Number four and five, we have the Almasti and the Amamongo. Uh, now there are plenty of ape men and other hairy hominoid creatures, uh, beyond Yeti and Sasquatch. And among ape men from around the world is the Almasti, which apparently shares some characteristics of Neanderthals. And it's said to roam central Asia. And then you have the Amamongo, which is an ape man that hails from the Philippines and apparently likes to disembowel goats with its long fingernails. As one naturally would. If you had long fingernails, what do you do? You disembowel a goat. Um, and that's not very nice. Don't, don't disembowel a goat. Goats are cute. Uh, but maybe the Amamongo is friends with the legendary Chupacabra, the goat sucker cryptid. Uh, and we'll talk about him later, but the, the, the Chupacabra, the goat sucker, um, came out of Puerto Rico in the 1990s. Not fun for goats. Just snacks on them like a, like a juice box. But uh, I don't know. Now, Masti, I'm a Mongo, number four and five. Number six, we have the, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this, the Amphir Lyeth Moor, also known as the Big Gray Man. And uh, this creature is said to inhabit the summit of Ben Macdui, which is the second uh, highest mountain in Scotland. And supposedly, you can hear its disembodied footsteps in the gravel on the mountain. And when the fog thins, you can see a hairy humanoid three times taller than a man. So, Scotland's equivalent of a Bigfoot, allegedly. Coming in at number seven and number eight, this article kind of lumps them together in certain areas. Number seven and number eight, we have Yowies and Habagong. Uh, Yowies, which live in the Australian out outback, originated in indigenous Australian tales. Uh, these creatures are said to be extremely hairy and between seven to 12 feet tall. They've been described both as Australia's version of Bigfoot and, quote, a spirit that roams over the earth at night. And then you have the uh, Habagong, which lives in the mountains around Hiroshima in Japan, and there are many others. Um, experts say that these eight men legends uh, occurred independently across cultures. And as Benjamin Rash uh, Radford, uh, deputy editor of Skeptical Inquirer magazine, told Live Science, quote, the idea of a wild man-like creature coexisting with us but just beyond our understanding is heavily rooted in mythology. You know, but that's the thing that makes cryptids so intriguing is that they independently pop up in different locations throughout history and around the world, even back when travel and trade was less common. So like nowadays we can travel anywhere at the drop of a hat. We just hop on a plane, but thousands of years ago, it wasn't that common for someone in Australia, for example, to correspond with somebody from Europe. You didn't regularly have people from South America comparing cryptid creature stories with someone from Asia. And yet all around the world, we have similar reports of strange creatures. You know, you got mermaids, unicorns, dragons, Bigfoots, and the, the descriptions vary only slightly from one culture to the next. You know, and you've heard it before, but I think most legends stem from a kernel of truth. So just something to think about. Next up, number nine, we have the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Sounds delicious and sweet, doesn't it? The Honey Island Swamp Monster is a seven-foot-tall, 400-pound, stinky, gray-haired beast first spotted by two hunters in Louisiana's Honey Island Swamp in 1963. Uh, casts of the footprints have been shown, uh, shown it to have been on four toes, uh, one off to the side, and then three thin webbed toes on the front of the foot. 
some say it's the product of mating between escaped circus chimpanzees and alligators. All right, out of all the monsters we're discussing, I think the thing that will actually give me nightmares tonight is the image of a chimpanzee mating with an alligator. Ew. I mean, I don't even know how that's anatomically... Never mind, we won't even go there. <laughs> Weird stuff. Uh, you know, that's why I call it. The show is called So Strange. What do you expect, right? Chimpanzees mating with alligators. What's next? Bring it on, bring it on. Number 10, uh, Loch Ness Monster. There you go, old familiar, old reliable. Shows up on every list. Uh, sightings of a beast in the area of Loch Ness go back 1,500 years but the modern obsession began in 1933 after a new road was built that offered a better view of the lock. The most famous photo of Nessie, which is called the surgeon's photo, was taken the year after that. And what's interesting about the photo is that, according to some, it was an elaborate attempt at revenge. So in 1933, the Daily Mail had sent uh, Marmaduke Wetherill to Loch Ness to find the creature. Uh, by the way... That's the coolest name in history. <laughs> Marmaduke Wetherill. That dude was destined to, be, to chase monsters for a living. But anyway, as the story goes, Marmaduke Wetherill discovered some four-toed footprints near the water. He took some casts of the prints, and he sent them off to a museum for, an for analysis. And, of course, he wrote about them. But it all blew up in his face when the museum revealed that the prints didn't belong to Nessie, but to, get this, a hippopotamus. So somebody, possibly Wetherill himself, had likely used the foot of some kind of a stand to put the prints in the mud. You know, think of like a, maybe like an umbrella stand that had like a hippo print at the bottom. So the Daily Mail, which had uh, sent Wetherill to find proof of the monster, decided to attack and humiliate the guy. So Wetherill apparently didn't take the, uh, didn't appreciate that treatment. And he and his stepson used a wood plastic composite and a toy submarine to create their version of the Loch Ness Monster. And then they took it to the lake and photographed it. And the film wound up in the hands of a doctor, hence the surgeon photo. The doctor developed it and sent the photo to the Daily Mail, which published it. But when the photo started uh, generating a ton of publicity, the hoaxers apparently decided not to reveal what they had done. Of course, not everybody believes this story to be true, uh, least because it didn't come to light for decades. Uh, in the world of cryptids, nothing is simple. But you, dear listener, you've probably seen this photo before. It's that iconic black and white photo of a creature coming up out of the water and kind of looking to the right with a slightly curved dinosaur-type head and neck. And uh, the article is correct in saying that when it comes to the world of cryptids, nothing is simple. Nothing is straightforward. You know, I, I suppose few things in life really are, if you think about it. And there's generally some controversy, rumors, miscommunication, and speculation. You know, especially when we're trying to get to the bottom of a mystery that has many complex layers. But uh, hats off to the Loch Ness Monster. Good old Nessie. Always seems to make the list when we're talking about famous cryptid creatures from around the world, and she deserves her place among the very best. All right, jumping right back into it, number 11 and number 12, respective, uh, respectively, you have Tahoe Tessie and Ogopogo. Nessie isn't the only aquatic creature out there. One is called Tahoe Tessie, which supposedly lives in California and Nevada's Lake Tahoe. Another uh, cryptid creature is known as Ogopogo, which lives in Lake Okanagan in British Columbia. 
This creature appears in Native American tales as an evil entity that required natives to make a sacrifice to cross the lake. White people reportedly started seeing the creature in the 1870s. The name Ogopogo is thought to derive from a popular mid-1920s nonsensical song that includes the lyrics, uh, quote, His mother was an earwig, his father was a whale. I'm going to put a little bit of salt on his tail. I want to find the Ogopogo. So Ogopogo, Ogopogo caught on, and the original native name of the creature was essentially wiped out. For what it's worth, Dr. Charles Goldman, an expert on inland aquatic systems, believes that sightings of the lake monster like uh, Nessie and Tessie and Ogopogo are actually uh, mirages caused by temperature changes in the deep, cold lakes. Another possible explanation is very big fish, such as sturgeons, that live in those bodies of water. Now, for what it's worth, I think sturgeons are probably a more likely explanation than mirages. You know, I'm not an expert on inland aquatic systems like Dr. Goldman, uh, but th I don't know, that theory kind of seems like they're reaching for anything to explain away these sightings. You know, and like, you know, like it was swamp gas reflecting off of Venus and all those old timey ridiculous explanations they used to discredit UFO eyewitnesses back in the 1940s and 1950s. But as for Lake Tahoe and Lake Okanagan, uh, who knows what's out there in the deep, dark water? Anything could be lurking just below or just above the surface of the water. When we came by it the first time, that's where I, I thought it was a log. On their last sail of the season, Dale Hanshar, his wife Colleen, and their neighbor Myrna Germain Brown saw something shocking beneath Okanagan Lake's surface. Nice easy breeze cruising out across the lake, and we saw something in the water. And as a boater, I was just looking, you know, is this something dangerous that needs to be marked so somebody doesn't run into it? We went by it. It looked like a log in, down into the water, but didn't look quite right. That's when they snapped a photo. It wasn't until we got home, we got looking at it and zoomed in on it that we, we were like... Puzzled. The horns are three, those, what, if, if we can yeah. call them that, so the nodules. Yeah. Oh, at least three feet. And then it goes out from there. And, oh, it would have been that big. And that's why I thought if it was Ogopogo sleeping, I don't want to be here. Now, we've shown the photograph to our expert, and he was surprised by what he saw. However, he does have a theory of what it could be, if not the legendary lake monster Ogopogo. I am not going to lie. As soon as I opened up, I did have a moment of, of hesitation, like, whoa, this is not like something I've seen before, because you immediately see the horns. And a lot of classic depictions of lake monsters, people will note horns of some type at first glance it does appear to be monstrous looking you're looking at some head but you know taking into consideration um being able to zoom in and the coloration and you know the location in which a head would naturally be in relation to a, a leg or a wing um it, it it appears to be some sort of aquatic bird whether it be a, a goose or a duck or something like that. Whether a duck, a goose, or Ogopogo itself, the photo continues to keep the legend of the mysterious lake monster alive and well. Sydney Morton, Global News, Kelowna. A duck, a goose. <laughs> now, I gotta be honest, I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking at the video of this thing, and let me assure you, it looks nothing like a goose or a duck. Now, does this mean we're looking at a sea monster? Not necessarily. But there's definitely something strange happening there. And I, I don't think it can be 
explained away quite as easily as the guy in the video suggests. And uh, you can see for yourself by clicking the link to that video in the show notes. And, uh, of course, that clip uh, clip comes to you courtesy of Global News. Coming in at, at number 13, one of my personal favorites, Mokele Mbembe. Say it with me, Mokele Mbembe. Congo's Mokele Mbembe is a different water monster altogether. This 35-foot-long herbivore lives in rivers and is said to resemble a sauropod dinosaur, right down to its long tail and neck. Tales about a mysterious giant animal in the area date back to the 1700s, but the creature first popped up, popped up into modern literature in the 1909 book called Beasts and Men. There have been a number of searches over the years, including an expedition funded by funded on Kickstarter, but the Mokele Mbembe, uh, which means one who stops the flow of water, still has not been found. And I remember uh, in my younger years, uh, back when I was a back when I was a youngster, um, I, I first caught wind of this on, on a documentary, probably on Discovery Channel. But it was really cool. And the documentary itself had kind of old timey footage. You know, well, that's all relative, but it, it contained footage from back in the forties, fifties, sixties of an expedition that uh, went place, and they, they, they these guys rounded up. You know, weeks worth of supplies, and they went into the Congo, uh, dense, heavily forested area, nearly inaccessible. And the reason that they went there is because that there had been a rash of Mokele and Bembe sightings. People saying this thing basically looks like a small brontosaurus. They see it regularly. It's it's relatively peaceful in that it doesn't seem to eat people. It doesn't eat meat. It's a vegetarian, but it is territorial. And it will kind of defend its ground if you come too close to its spot along the river. Um, so these guys, they flew out there and they brought with them, you know, supplies. They brought with them uh, books, magazines. Uh, even, even there was like a, a, a box of flashcards that had just different animals from around the world. Now, they were communicating with a tribe that was essentially cut off from civilization. This was an ancient tribe. They had no modern technology. They had an, an interpreter so that the, the, the tribe could communicate with the researchers and scientists. But the most fascinating part of the documentary, in my opinion, was when they were showing this, this tribe. Now, of course, these, this, tri this tribe had lived in this area forever like they had never been outside of their home area so when the researchers would show them pictures of like um uh oh gosh for example uh like a, a penguin they, they'd say no we we don't know what this creature is we've never seen one of these before they'd show them a picture of a snake you know a monkey a leopard they say oh yes uh, that's a so-and-so and that's such and such and they had you know their local dialect they had names for spiders and monkeys and snakes and uh, but they showed them a picture of a brontosaurus and without skipping a beat, they're like, oh, yeah, that's Michele and Bembe. We see these, those things all the time. They're as, you know, they're as, as common as any other creature out there. So I think it was, it was kind of cool because it was, a, well, it was not an official study, but you almost had a control. You know, because, again, you, you'd show them pictures of, like, a whale or, or something that they're not familiar with. They were honest. They said, we don't know what that creature is. Show them a picture of a brontosaurus, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's Michele and Bembe. And to me... That's that lends a lot of credibility to the fact maybe people out there were or are still seeing brontosaurus type creatures. Now, how a dinosaur could <laughs> could, you know, have carried through and, and avoided extinction umpteen, you know, 65 million years ago. I don't know. But again, that's why I do this show is because I love a good mystery. 
Number 14, we have the Dabhar Chu. The Dabhar Chu is an otter-like Irish cryptid that's said to be half Irish, half hound. And I probably butchered the pronunciation of that, by the way. But the aggressive seven-foot-long creature supposedly lives in lakes around Ireland and are also known as Irish crocodiles. That'd be a great band name, by the way. little folk music. You know, bring to the stage the Irish crocodiles. Uh, anyway, um, sightings date back to the late 1600s, and there's even a depiction of a Dabhar Chu on the gravestone of a woman who is said to have been killed by one of the creatures in 1722. Interesting. Now, uh, there are no crocodiles in Ireland. Let's let's put that out there right away. There's no crocodiles in Ireland. You know, but people in the 1700s were superstitious, but they weren't stupid. And I'm going to say that if people went so far as to include a picture of this monster on the gravestone of the woman that it killed, they must have been pretty confident about what they saw and what transpired. So perhaps they wanted the image to act as a type of warning maybe reminding people to stay on the shore and out of the murky lakes in Ireland. Uh, I don't know. Interesting one. And I have to admit, um, I've never heard of the Dobhar Chu. It doesn't sound Irish. It doesn't have an Irish ring to it. But what do I know? Uh, number 15, you got the Bunyip. It's fun to say, the Bunyip. doesn't sound scary. According to indigenous Australian folklore, the Bunyip is a creature found in lakes and swamps in Australia and it's really fond of eating people, especially women and children. So descriptions of the bunyip are all over the place, but many describe it as looking something like a seal. Also, it supposedly lays its, lays its eggs in platypus nests. <laughs> and after reading that, I just couldn't help myself. So earlier I did a little internet search, and I was looking for pictures of the bunyip. And of course, all the ones that I found were artistic renditions, since nobody's actually captured a clear image of these things. But from the looks of it, the creature kind of reminds me of like a chupacabra in the fact that it kind of seems to be made up of leftover parts. <laughs> it's kind of a hodgepodge of scary appendages. You got claws, scales, spikes, sharp teeth, even some webbed feet in some of the pictures. So I don't know, maybe it's appropriate that the bunyip lays its eggs in platypus nests because those two creatures are equally strange. Uh, Number 16, talk about strange. We have the Loveland Frogman. You heard me right, the Frogman. The Loveland Frogman is exactly what it sounds like. It's a humanoid frog. Uh, The creature was first spotted swimming in Ohio's Little Miami River in 1955. Then in March of 1972, it was seen by Loveland, Ohio police officers on two separate occasions. The first officer described a three to four foot tall creature that weighed 60 pounds with leathery skin and a face like a frog or a lizard. The second officer even shot the creature, as the story goes. And then in 2016, the Loveland Frogman was supposedly spotted again by two people playing Pokemon Go. And one of them emailed a video of the creature to the local news saying, quote, we saw a huge frog near the water. Not in the game Pokemon Go, but an actual giant frog. Uh, I took a couple pictures of it, of the video, because I've never seen one that big. And the thing stood up and walked on its hind legs. Uh, The kid added, I swear on my grandma's grave that this is the truth. After that article came out, however, the second officer from the 1972 sighting came forward and called it a hoax, claiming that the creature he'd spotted and shot was actually an iguana that had been missing its tail. 
Uh, a blogger was also able to basically duplicate what the Pokemon Go player had captured in his video using a small statue of a frog with light-up eyes. But even if the Loveland Frogman isn't real, those totally awesome I Saw the Loveland Frogman t-shirts are real. Giant frog who walks on two legs. You know, I I can't decide if this is the scariest cryptid on on the list or the most absurd. I guess fear, much like beauty, is uh, in the eyes of the beholder. Number 17 and 18. I uh, got a joint pair here. You have the Lake Worth monster and the Pope Lick monster. You might hurt. You might have heard about Maryland's Goat Man, but he's not the only goat-based cryptid. Uh, Texas's Lake Worth monster is also a Goat Man, that is apparently seven feet tall, and 350 pounds. And the Pope Lick monster is a half goat, half man creature that lives under a railroad trestle bridge in Louisville, uh, Kentucky. It reportedly uses hypnosis to lure people out onto the bridge and to their death. I have two questions. Uh, Number one, who was the lucky person who broke out a scale and weighed this monster to figure out that it's precisely 350 pounds? And my second question, is the Popelik monster certified in hypnosis from an accredited university or is he practicing without a license? Just, Just throwing that out there. Number 19, the Chupacabra. Chupacabra is Spanish for goat sucker. This creature, which first appeared in Puerto Rico in the 1990s, has creepy red eyes, stands on two legs, is four to five feet tall, has spikes on its back, and very long claws on its hands. And it likes to drain livestock of their blood. The legend spread all over Latin America, into the United States, and into legend. But DNA analysis suggests that many so-called chupacabras are actually canines with a disease called mange. And uh, mange, if you haven't seen a picture of that, pretty pretty graphic, pretty pretty sad actually. You know, it, it affects dogs and coyotes and kind of makes their hair fall off and then it makes their skin kind of leathery and wrinkly looking. But most of the chupacabra pictures that I've seen, poor little buddies have like a little snaggle tooth, you know. Like they need uh, braces or something, but chupacabra is kind of, it's it's one of those cryptids that are new, like a new addition to this list of ancient creatures. I mean, 1990s is, is pretty darn recent in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, some people say they have glowing eyes, some people say they actually have wings, uh, but a lot of people find in these, um, you know, these bodies of these uh, these coyotes and these mangy dogs, they are alarming, but are they a cryptid animal? That's That's up for debate. But uh, good old Chupacabra, gotta love him. Uh, or not. <laughs> but Chupacabra is actually going to make an appearance in a children's book that I have coming out. You can expect this book to be available in the spring. The title is Bigfoot's Big Birthday Party. And the book is co authored with my daughter Sky. We came up with a story together, and uh, it involves uh, a lot of cryptid creatures from around the world getting invited to a Bigfoot's birthday party atop a mysterious mountain. And uh, rounds up some of his favorite buddies. You got the mermaid. Um, I think a unicorn uh, makes an appearance. Chupacabra comes. You got the yeti. And uh, it should be a good story. Fun. <laughs> we had a lot of fun creating it. And we have a wonderful illustrator who is currently working on the drawings. So I'll keep you posted on that as more information becomes available. And I won't spoil the surprise. But in my, in, in me and Sky's book, the chupacabra is not a goat sucker. In fact, he's a vegetarian. 
and I'll let you read the book uh, for, <laughs> for more info on that when it comes out. Number 20, we have the Rougarou. Cajun legend has it that the swamps and bayous of Louisiana are haunted by the Rougarou, which is a werewolf-type creature that apparently hunts two types of prey, Catholics who don't observe Lent and naughty kids. Unlike werewolf legends, however, you don't need to be bitten by a Rougarou to become a Rougarou, to become a Rougarou. According to Jonathan Forrett, executive director of South Louisiana Wetlands Discovery Center, uh, he said, quote, one of the ways that you could become a Rougarou is if you do not observe Lent for seven years in a row. You can also become a Rougarou if someone curses you. But if you're a bad kid, make no mistake, Rougarou wants to eat you. To protect yourself from the Rougarou, you need to place 13 objects, like pennies or rocks, on your threshold or windowsill. It supposedly works because Rougarou can only count to 12. Mmm, <laughs> nothing tastes better than children marinated in their own sins and sprinkled with Catholic guilt. Am I right? I can just imagine it. You know, Rougarou cooking them low and slow like Grandma's Cajun gumbo. You know, mmm. Kiss, kiss the chef. The meat is quite a delicacy. But uh, all joking aside, uh, there's plenty of werewolf-type creatures, and they're being seen all around the South. Um, now, I don't believe in curses and hexes and all that religious dogma, but I do believe that the South does have some unidentified, bipedal, wolf-like creatures that are on the prowl. And uh, don't take my word for it. After this episode, hop over to Dogman Encounters Radio, that's a podcast where you can indulge yourself in over 400 hours of firsthand eyewitness reports from people who have seen Rougarou-type cryptids up close and personal. And uh, as for me, I've listened to <laughs> almost every single minute of those 400-plus hours of werewolf sightings, and, and it is, it is uh, yeah, goosebumps guaranteed. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Say your prayers if you're from the South, kids. Man, Rougarou's going to eat you up. Can only count to ten, though. So, you know, got some things going for him and some things working against him. Next up at number 21, we have the Ahul. The Ahul is a giant bat like creature spotted by a scientist in the jungles of Java in Indonesia in 1925. It's named after its call and is said to be twice as large as the, the large flying fox bat, which has a wingspan of five feet and is among the largest bats in the world. Uh, some people have said the creature, the ahul, uh, might be a pterosaur, but others believe that it could simply be an owl. Now, my theory is that the ahul is just an owl with a fancy accent. You know, so instead of going who, he goes ahul. And all the other owls are like, come on, Frank, you need to enunciate your hoots better, dude. Uh, if you've got a better theory regarding the Ahul, uh, go ahead and submit it to me by emailing andymyersmanagement at gmail.com. And uh, while you're at it, if you could do me a solid, uh, go ahead and rate and review this show if you're enjoying it. Share it with friends and family who are equally weird and strange. You can check out my other podcast as well. I have another one called Paranormal Dads. Uh, with my buddies Eddie and Pat, we explore the world's monsters, myths, and mysteries. And we have a lot of, a lot of chuckles on that show. Um, check out my upcoming events by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you're looking for more content, if you just can't get enough of So Strange, uh, you can become a subscriber by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you're a subscriber, you will get a Super Strange bonus episode each and every Thursday. Uh, in fact, uh, just yesterday, I came out with an episode. We were talking about uh, strange facts about the human body. 
kind of weird, kind of gross, kind of different. But if you're looking for more content, that's the way to do it because you can instantly double the amount of episodes that you can access. Anyway, we're going to finish strong. We're going to bring this train all the way to the station. Number 22, last but not least, we have the Beast of Exmoor. The Beast of Exmoor prowls the fields near Somerset and Devon in the U.K., and has been spotted numerous times since the 1970s. Now, this is not the kind of cat that you would want to cuddle up with. All right, The killings of hundreds of sheep have been pinned on the creature, which is said to be upwards of six and a half feet long. Uh, one farmer whose sheep was killed by the beast said that his sheep's face and neck were stripped clean off. Uh, the corpse had also been sucked dry of the blood, and the killing was apparently so quick that the sheep didn't even struggle, and the attack was so quiet that none of the other animals near it were even disturbed. Uh, some believe that the creature is a big cat like a puma that either escaped or was released from a private owner after it became illegal to own big cats in the 1970s. But given that big cats like these have been uh, generally only live for about 15 years or so, and that sighting still persists to this day, it seems like the mystery of the beast of Exmoor remains unsolved. Well, that about puts a bloody bow on today's episode. Uh, we've meandered all around this big, scary world together. We've had our fill of diverse locations, home to creatures that seem to have their very own classification, right there in the miscellaneous junk drawer of the animal kingdom. None of the aforementioned cryptids have yet found their order, genus, or species, but maybe one day, with a little more research, a little more courage, and a bit more exploration, we can uncover definitive proof of these monsters. Until then, be safe out there. God only knows how many unknown creatures inhabit our mountains, woods, and lakes. Our world is so mysterious, and it's so strange. <laughs> <laughs>